Romans 8 verse 26 to 27 and it says and in the same way also the spirit joins to help our weakness for we do not know what is being proper to pray for but the spirit himself goes on interceding for us through wordless groanings and he who is searching the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to God. Now one thing we notice basically coming to this test is this, that the subject of prayer isn't something most of us like to talk about because we feel insufficient to talk about this topic. We all feel we can pray better than we are praying right now and our prayer life basically the way it is right now we are not okay with the way it is. There are people who speak as if prayer is very easy and you see prayer is just as easy as breathing. The way you breathe in, the way you breathe out, you breathe, you basically take in the word, the prayer is your breathing out, basically. That's the way they explain it as. Or some others would say, just start talking to Jesus from your heart. That's all prayer is about. But if we are to be truthful with ourselves, prayer isn't easy. <laughs> if it were that easy, we'd be praying every time. And not having set times that we have to pray, either in the morning, afternoon, or evening. At least we don't normally set time for our breathing. We breathe every time, whenever we like. And even on the problem of speaking, the ones of saying that speaking to Jesus from the heart, we struggle in some way with that. And sometimes we run out of words. First of all, it's very hard for us to trust our secrets to others. So how can we tell Jesus all that is in our heart if we can't do it to people we see? Another problem is that we don't know we don't see Jesus. So how can we talk to him? There are some of us who at least speak to people we see, talk more of the God of the universe, the King of Kings that we can't see. And you remember John basically says that how can he say you do not love the brother that you see? And you are saying basically that you love the God that you do not see, but you do not love the brother that you see. It doesn't make sense. And in that same logic, that's what we are bringing in here. And when we look to scriptures about prayer uh, in the lives of the saints, we feel intimidated based on our experiences. We see Abraham called a friend of God. He could speak to God at any time and God will respond back to him. Or you take a look at Moses, that the scripture says God spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And we are like, how is that even possible? We find ourselves in prayers when we shut our eyes trying to imagine what God's face is like. No wonder we see in scriptures why the Israelites resorted to idolatry. Just a few uh, moments when they didn't see Moses, they were already going into idolatry. Oh, because Moses has gone up to the mountain to go and be with God. He's gone to idolatry and the golden calf. He couldn't bear it anymore. And it's most easier to pray to a God you can see than a God you can't see. But we also see basically people like Elijah who prayed for rain to be stopped. And we begin to think like <laughs> Elijah is not on the same level with us. Elijah is some superhuman. And James in the New Testament tells us basically Elijah was a man of like passions as us. So it's almost like you. And in as much as these various problems are there in the realm of uh, prayer, we, are, we all try to find a way to overcome them and have a prayer life, whether short periods or long periods in a day. We just try our best to speak to God each day. 
and this guy talked to him for the day. And sometimes when God blesses us, we thank him. Most of the times we usually forget to even thank him for the good things he has done for us. The time most of us come closer to God is during hard times. When a bad situation happens, that's when people tend to get closer to God. That's when people tend to be prayerful. That, that, that is when we suddenly become prayer warriors. If that child dies, if that parent dies, or if that sibling dies, we begin to ask God, why? 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 Why me? And challenge God that this can't happen to me. I am a child of God. It's, it shouldn't be head of among me. It's not meant to happen to me. I may even speak to God irreverently. For example, you look at the life of Job. He lost his business and family in the same day. He also had painful sores all over his body, from his head to his toe. And his first response when these messages were coming to him, basically, was to bow down and worship God. But we'll look on later, basically, that Job says terrible things later. Like he does cause the days, the day that he was born on it, even challenge God to show up himself and come and judge him and give him, avenge him. Why do, is he going through what he's going through? And what pained Job the most in all this uh, situation wasn't the physical suffering that he was going through, but the spiritual suffering that he felt that God wasn't there. He couldn't feel the presence of God, even though cognitively he knew God existed. And our Lord Jesus Christ too, when he took our pains and sufferings and our sins on the cross, also cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that moment, he felt forsaken by God. And that is the way we feel. In moments of suffering, that is how we deeply feel. We are like, we are asking, where is God when this happened? Where was God when this happened? I just want you to uh, listen to a few prayer points of people in times of suffering. O Yahweh, God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and cried throughout the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry of lamentation, for my soul has been saturated with calamities, and my life has reached Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength released from among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hands. You have put me in the pit far below, in dark places in the depths. Your wrath lies upon me, and you have fled me with all your breaking waves. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have set me as an abomination to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Yahweh. I have spread out my hands to you. Will you do wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirit rise and praise you? Will your loving kindness be recounted in the grave? Your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness? And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. But as for me, Yahweh, I have cried out to you for help. And in the morning my prayer comes before you. O Yahweh, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and about to breathe my last from my youth on. I bear your sorrows. 
I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your horrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. This is the other one I want to read to you. It says, I said I will keep watch over my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will keep watch over my mouth as with a muzzle, while the wicked are in my presence. I was moved to silence. I even kept silent from speaking good, and my anguish grew worse. My heart was hot within me while I meditated the fire was burning. Then I spoke with my tongue. Yahweh caused me to know my hand and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing before you. Surely every man, even standing firm, is altogether vanity. Surely every man walks about as a shadow. Surely they make an opera in vain. He pies up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I open? My expectation is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the wicked fool. I have become moot. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague from me because of the opposition of your hand I am wasting away. Which reproves you chasing a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is vanity. Hear my prayer, O Yahweh, and give ear to my cry for help. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a foreign resident like all my fathers. Turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again, before I go and I am no more. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my salvation are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I call by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you rescued them. To you they cried out and were granted escape. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They smack their lips, they wag their heads, saying, Commit yourself to Yahweh, let him rescue him, let him deliver him, because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me out of the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from bed. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for distress is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They opened their womb wide their mouth at me as a lion that tears and rouse and pour that like water and all my bones are out of joint my heart is like was it is melted within me my strength is dried up like a pot shed and my tongue cleaves to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me a band of evil doers have encompassed me they pierced my hands and my feet I count all my bones. They took, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots.
Amen. One thing common in all these prayers that we have just read is this. Is that these people are real in their prayers and they do not hide out the feel from God. They just become very real with them and say, Lord, you even see one of the prayers, the, the man basically says, darkness has become my closest friend. <laughs> that God, you are not my closest friend. In the midst of all this, darkness is my closest friend. You have taken all my friends away from me. And this guy was going through deep suffering. And basically, that is what he was feeling like. That darkness is even more closer to me than you, God, are. And when we, most of us would say, basically, when we look at this prayer, that these prayers are irreverent. And me, basically, I, I think God does like when we are honest in our prayers. And when we see these prayers, it does compel us to ask, how are we to pray in suffering times? What is right or the proper thing for us to pray in times of suffering? And Paul basically answers that question by saying, for us to pray rightly, we need to understand what is going on in these suffering times. And that is what we see in the verses in front of us that we just read. We start with the first word, and it says, and in the same way, and in the same way. What does that mean when it says, and in the same way? That implies it's connecting uh, this word, uh, what he's about to say, to what he has said before. And you read in verse 16, it says, uh, the spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that is what I believe is connected to. And it's basically telling us that, uh, what he's saying is another work of the spirit in the life of the believer. And you know, basically, people we usually call Romans 8 the chapter of the Holy Spirit, basically, in Romans. And Paul is connecting that this is another work of the Holy Spirit. Why still connecting it to the context of suffering, basically, that he has been talking about? And you see the word groaning, and the first, the Earth is growing, the creation is growing, we are growing, now it's the spirit that is growing. Now, in that same way that the spirit is bearing witness in our spirit, the same way the spirit assists us in our weakness. And the spirit helps us in our weakness by joining us and interceding for us. Now, this word joins to help us, basically can be illustrated in Luke 10, verse 38 to 40. It says, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. So basically, Martha is doing the work and doing the serving alone. Then the sister tells the Lord Jesus Christ, basically, let Mary come and join me in this work that I'm doing. In this work that I'm doing, the preparations of, of basically food for you, Master. And that is the helping alongside that we are talking about. You also see this illustrated in Exodus 17, verse 8 to 12. It says, then Amalek came and fought against Israel and arrived him. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. 
Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and all went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed, and when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then he took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hor supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, thus his hands were steady until the sunset. So basically, what they were doing is that they supported his hands and held it up, basically. And that's what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is trying to do alongside with us. It comes to offer us a support in the times of our suffering. It comes to hold us up. It comes to help us and come alongside us. And this is not a work, basically, that when the Holy Spirit comes as, come and joins us, we now say, no, it's no longer our work. We leave all the work to the Holy Spirit. No. We still are partaking in this work together with Him. We are cooperating with Him, basically, in this work. Now, let's look at the word weakness. What does that mean? I believe the word weakness encompasses all human infirmities. Sicknesses, decays of our bodies, and illnesses. It covers all forms of suffering in this life as a believer. For example, you look at uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10. It says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a tongue in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might be, leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weaknesses. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. You see that word there? So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And Paul says, Therefore, I, will, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So you see the way it connects. Uh, distresses, persecutions, insults with the word weaknesses. So basically, weakness is basically encompassing all that. This is the basic weakness that we all face that encompasses and takes in all these other weaknesses that we face in different areas of our life. And Paul says that in times of suffering, we do not know what is proper to pray for. And basically, we can understand from our life experiences that there are different ways people react to suffering. There are some who have the reaction of Job's wife and just say, curse God and die. Basically, when this suffering has come, when you have lost your business, when you have lost your family, everything is gone. It's basically just cause God and die or just go and commit suicide. That is where some people react to suffering. Like I said, the world has ended for them. There are many who fall away basically because of suffering and renounce the faith and deny the faith that, man, this is not what... We signed up for when we we're coming to the Christian faith, and our Lord told us this in uh, Matthew 13, verse 20 to 21. He says, The one whom I have seen soon on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately it falls away. So he says, When affliction, when persecution arises, because of the word, because of the gospel, because of the faith that they are professing. Basically, they fall away. These are the reacts to sufferings in their life. And why we have others, basically, whose reaction is to pray. When the accident comes, 
when that job is lost, when the fear dies, and where did they run to? They said, our only option is God. It's God that we run to. We are not, we are not giving up on God. God is our all in all. So we are with Team Ultra in sufferings and in the good times. So the person that we are running back to is God. Even in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this tribulation that we are going through. But in this kind of emergency situations, we don't always know what is proper to pray for. Whether it's God's way for us to be relieved of this pain or to stay in it. We don't know. And James recognizes this is always the situation in sufferings. And it says in James 1 verse 2 to 5, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, that you may be perfect and lack and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And James, in the context of suffering, basically is saying that there are times you will be lacking in wisdom. In, those con- in the context of suffering, you do not know what to do, what to pray for, basically, in the context of suffering. And he says, just ask God for wisdom. And God will give generously without reproach to you in the midst of suffering. And you recall basically the verses that we read earlier on that Paul had a tone in the flesh. And he pleaded with God three times for God to take it away. And God didn't. And he realized that it was God's will for it to be there. So Paul was basically confused when this tone in the flesh came in. And it could be a physical suffering. And Paul was like, I want to pray for to be relieved from this suffering. Let this suffering go to, away. But he realized after praying two times, and God didn't uh, take away this uh, this uh, turn in the flesh. That it's like it's God's way for this thing to be there. And in all this, Paul says that in all this suffering, Paul is telling us in this our text that the Spirit Himself, which is the third person of the Trinity goes on interceding on behalf of us, which is also the sense that is said in verse 27. It goes on interceding for us through wordless groanings. Now, how do we interpret what Paul says here? There are different ways of looking at this. The first way of looking at it is that it could be that the Spirit isn't the one that is groaning, but we are the ones that are groaning. But the Spirit is the one that goes through us, basically. The reason why we groan is because of the Spirit, and the Spirit enables us to groan, and that is the way it intercedes for us, through those wordless groanings. But another way of looking at this is basically, the second way of looking at this is this, that the Spirit is the one that is actually groaning. Now, why do I say that the Spirit is the one that is actually groaning? Not us that Paul is talking about here, but it's actually the Spirit that is groaning, that Paul means what he says. Because the Bible actually says that God can groan. In Isaiah 42 verse 14, it says, I have kept silence for a long time. This is God speaking here. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now like a woman in labor, I will groan, I will gasp and pant. And we basically must not feel that God is so divorced from us that he doesn't have emotions. That God cannot feel things. Sometimes we need to think and meditate on our days and ponder upon our days that how have we made God felt today? How does God feel about us today? 
we might be feeling like basically God loves us every moment. That is true. God loves us. We are believers. We are called the beloved in Christ Jesus. But there are, there's a way that our actions actually affect the way God please, uh, feels each day. And that's why Paul says that we should be trying to learn to please God every day. We should be trying to learn what is pleasing to God in the book of Ephesians. And that is what is our life goal. Because there are times we do not please God. There are times we grieve the Holy Spirit. So we must not get this so-called mindset that is every time that I'm pleasing to God, is every time God is happy with me. We should be real with ourselves. There are times that God is not happy with our behavior. There are times, basically, that's why we have discipline. That's why God disciplines us because he wants to correct us that what he has done is wrong. And he wants us to produce the fruit of righteousness. So God does have feeling. God does have emotions that we should be concerned about. And the way I see it is that the Spirit is an interface between us and God. Just like the way the Lord Jesus Christ is our mediator between um, us and God. The Spirit is our interface between us and God. It's the Spirit that reveals basically God's emotions, God's feelings to us. And the Spirit himself also reveals our emotions, our feelings and takes us up to God. There are times we can feel what God feels basically. Because the Spirit is in us and it can pass on those emotions to us. And we can see this basically in the prophets of the Old Testament. For example, Uzziah, Uzziah basically a wife, married a wife that is a prostitute. There are times the wife will go to her customer and continue her allotry. And Uzziah will have to go and get her back. And God was basically showing Uzziah in all this situation that this is how I feel about Israel. This is my love for them. And he was trying to show Uzziah the love of God. You also remember Ezekiel's wife dying and God telling him not to cry over her, not to mourn or not to groan over the wife's death. And there are times you can pray about a situation and God will just pass his feeling onto you through his spirit about that situation to you. And you find yourself sometimes crying in prayer, sometimes you find yourself smiling in prayer that this is actually how God feels about the situation. So in the same way, God can also feel what we feel. For example, it was said of our Lord Jesus Christ that he felt what we are feeling here on earth. He stayed on this earth. He lived on this earth for a good number of years. About three years he lived on earth. And in Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And in chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. So everything we are facing here on earth, all the sufferings that we pass through on here on earth, our Lord Jesus Christ is familiar with them. He went through them, basically, because he is a high priest that is appointed from among us. So he must be he's familiar with our weaknesses. So we have a high priest who can sympathize with us in these uh, struggles that we are going here. So God does have feelings. And I can imagine how God must have felt when Jesus was on the cross. 
we you could just illustrate that if someone let's imagine someone committed murder and the verdict is that this person is to die by hanging the parents of that person knowing fully well that their child did what their child did is wrong and totally deserving of that punishment it would be very painful for them watching their child struggle for life then talk more of god whose son was innocent of what he was being charged for on the cross and how much painful to have been for God because God watched everything that happened that day that his son died on the cross. God watched everything from heaven. And sometimes <laughs> maybe I can kind of understand why the passion of Christ, when uh, Jesus Christ was on the cross, why they had to put that drop of tears falling from heaven, trying to show God's emotion when Jesus Christ was on the cross. Though the Bible doesn't speak of anything as such happening. That there was tears falling from heaven when Jesus was crossed. They were just trying to pass basically the emotions of God at that particular moment. That this is how God felt. And I really believe that it must have been painful for God to see his son die on the cross. But God could go through all that pain just for us. Just because of his love for us. And the price of Jesus Christ is very, very costly. Let's not take the gift of salvation. Do it is free. But it cost somebody his life. It cost Jesus Christ his life on the cross. And he took the pains and the wrath of God for us. That we ourselves will not have to go through the penalty for our sins. And bore our sins and sufferings for us. So when we groan, the spirit of God within us also groans as a result of our own spirits groaning. Now it says Paul is saying basically that these groanings are wordless; they are not um, uh, vocal. So groaning is a form of prayer. The Bible speaks of groaning as being a form of prayer. Exodus two verse twenty four. So God also uh, so God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaiah 42 verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold. So it's some um, Ezekiel 24 verse 17. Groan silently, make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban your shoes on your feet and do not cover your mustache. And do not eat the bread of men. And there are groanings too that could be with words. Psalm 22 verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. So groaning, there are groanings that have words. There are groanings that are wordless. So if it is possible to pray without words, you see that in First Samuel verse 1 to 13. As for Anna, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. If it's possible to speak, uh, pray without words, then it's possible to groan without words. And groaning is a form of prayer to God. Now the next verse says, He who is searching the heart to knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to God. Now, the way most interpreters interpret uh, that text is that God is the one that is searching our hearts to know what the mind of the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints 
according to the will of God. So they will say what is going on is that God sees the groanings in our hearts. The heart is where the groanings take place. And this is what he sees as the intentions of the Holy Spirit that is indwelling within us. This is the mind of the Spirit that is also dwelling within our hearts. And it's not converted to conform to the will of God as an intercession, basically. That we are not being interceded, interceded sorry, according to the will of God. But I think there is another way this verse can be seen. And this is the other way. We could basically see it as this, that what Paul is saying is that, and he's searching the hearts to know what the mind of the Spirit is. And he is searching the hearts to know what the mind of the Spirit is. And my interpretation is that the Holy Spirit is the He searching our hearts, not God. It's the Holy Spirit that is the He searching our hearts to know what the mind of our spirit is. So it's our hearts, our spirits that is here, not the Holy Spirit. And He, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us according to God. Now the Bible makes it clear that God searches our hearts. First Chronicles 28 verse 9, it says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understand every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And it says, the Lord searches all hearts. Psalm 139 verse 23-24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there will be any awful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. So this psalm is crying out, Lord, search my heart. Know my heart, know my anxious thoughts, know what is within me, and reveal it unto yourself. And the Bible also makes it clear, even from this verse, we can see that it's also clear that we ourselves cannot search our own hearts. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 to 10 emphasizes this point. Say the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And verse 10 says, I the Lord search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give each man according to his ways, according to the result of his deeds. So even though you cannot understand your heart, God can understand it. God can search it to know what is in there. So basically, God through his indwelling spirit searches our hearts in that moment of suffering to know what the mind of our spirit is saying. And this might seem confusing or conflicting to us that what is it, what is it talking about, mind of our spirit? Are the mind and spirit not in sync with each other? The truth is that there are times your mind and your spirit are not doing the same thing. There are times that they are in sync with each other. There are times, basically, they are not doing the same thing. First uh, Corinthians 14, verse 14 to 15, emphasizes this. It says, For if I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So your spirit is praying, your mind is unfruitful. It says, What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, I will sing with the mind also. So in our says, I will get to the point that my spirit, will be, my spirit will be doing the same thing. My mind will be doing the same thing. That is the point I want to draw from that text. So God wants to know what our mind and our spirit, spirit is saying through His Holy Spirit searching our hearts. And in those moments, the Spirit takes the groans of our spirit and groans to God. <laughs> and, and God tells the Spirit what to intercede for us. And that is what the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Basically, whatever God tells Him, 
to intercede when he groans to him and this guy god hears this groanings and when god hears this groanings coming through his spirits god hears our own groanings he hears the groanings coming through the spirit basically and god now says holy spirit intercede for them this is what i want you to intercede for them in the midst of this suffering that they are going through now how does this all uh, apply to us everything that i've said how does it apply to us someone could be asking i i thought the spirit is coming alongside to help me and the way you spoke it seemed like this is entirely the spirit works spirit work sorry does that not mean that we don't we shouldn't pray in suffering times because the spirit is interceding on our behalf does that mean i'm not meant to do anything during times of suffering i should just keep silent and take in the suffering is that what you are saying now let me answer these questions by saying we still pray in suffering times and we can do that rightly with the truth that has been revealed to us basically the doctrine that paul has expounded to us the knowledge paul has imparted to us this truth that he has imparted to us helps us and enables us to pray rightly with that truth in our heart now we know from scriptures that jesus christ is interceding for us hebrews 7 verse 25 says therefore he is able to also to save forever those who join there to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So, God, Jesus Christ is interceding for us, the Spirit is interceding for us here. Now, this is how we can pray properly in suffering. The Bible says God searches our hearts through his word, through the scriptures. Hebrews 4 verse 12 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and there is no creation hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So all things are laid bare, basically through his word. The word of God here could be Jesus Christ, basically, but it could also be the word of God, which is the scriptures that we are reading, that is doing this work of session, dividing soul and spirit, both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So what we do in the times of suffering is that we allow God's word, we allow God to search our hearts in the moment of suffering through the word of God, through the scriptures. And the good thing is that these same scriptures, this same word of God is what reveals what God says or what God is saying. This same scripture is revealing what God is saying at that present moment. So basically, we can know what is proper to pray for during suffering. That's what I'm showing to you. It's actually possible to know what is proper to pray for during suffering. Now, those prayers I, I read earlier on, they're actually from the book of Psalms. You can find them in Psalm 22, Psalm 39, and Psalm 88. They were all inspired by God. They may seem irreverent. They may seem uh, like blasphemy to you. But these were all inspired by God, and God put them in the Psalter for us to learn from. Now, on a more practical level, there may be times a brother or a friend may be sick. And in those moments, your will is basically saying that, oh my, I want this guy to be healed. Nobody actually wants his brother or their brethren to die in what in the sickness that they are going through and you just say i just want this guy to be healed but in that moment of suffering you just say let god's word try me let god's just word just open up my heart and show me the true intentions of my heart this guy is it that is my will 
for this guy to be is it also God's will or is my will basically that that is just the matter and God's will is basically saying that I I'm not going to heal this guy so what is it we just allow god's words at that moment basically to try us and test us and open up our hearts bare before us that this is the intention of your heart so what is god saying in this moment and you may find out basically that god impresses it on your heart that this person may not survive this illness that god won't heal them basically when you basically try to understand what is the will of god in this matter you find out that when you are praying that and this isn't God's will. And what you find out, Ben Kaida, when you understand, you remember Paul basically prayed and prayed three times, and he found out that it's not God's will to take away this stone in the flesh. And that is the same thing that could happen to us. We could find out that this is not God's will in this situation. That this guy is not going to survive this illness. God won't heal them. And you find out you, uh, yourself changing your prayer to god and saying that god should give the family strength and you the strength to grieve well over the loss of this loved one that it should not affect them in uh, mentally emotionally they should be able to go through this time of suffering with the strength of the lord that is strength that the lord supplies now where do i get this practical concept from where where am i getting this in the scriptures Am I just forging these things from my head? Are they, uh, is this something that we can see in the scriptures? And of course, I did get this principle from the scriptures. And Philippians 1 verse 21 to 26, Paul says, For me to live, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which to choose, but I am outpressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is necessary for your sake. And you see, basically, Paul is saying, I have two decisions. These are the two decisions I'm hard-pressed against, whether to live or to die. If I live, if I die, basically, it's so much better. I'm going to go and be with Christ. But if I live, it's so much for your own betterness. It's necessary for your own sake. Basically, it's going to profit you more if I'm living. And Paul now says in verse 25, I am convinced of this. He is outpressed between two decisions, basically. But he now comes to the conclusion and says, I'm convinced of this, that basically this was the will of God. And in this period, Paul is in prison, and the world is contemplating these decisions. And Paul says, I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul, even though he's outpressed between these decisions, two decisions, he comes to the conclusion that, it's God's way for me to actually remain here, to be here, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So he does hope to see them again. He knows this is not going to be the end for him. And God has revealed that to him, basically. His will to him. And you can remember, basically, in, in, at the end of Paul's life, in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6-8, to Paul now knows he has reached the time of his departure. He says, For I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. So Paul now comes to the conclusion that it's now that is the time of my departure. God has revealed that to me. And that is the way we can understand God's will in times of suffering. In each time, in those emergency situations in our lives, we could be praying and asking, Lord, what is your will in this moment? And the Spirit of God will impress it upon our hearts what God's perfect will is in those moments of suffering. And we begin to pray in line with the will of God at that moment as the Spirit has impressed it upon our hearts. So one thing I want to end with is this. That even when no man is interceding for you, find comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are interceding for you. What a glorious truth is that. And I pray, O Lord, that we will all come to an understanding of this truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I will thank you for your word that has come with refreshing, that has come with comfort for our souls. There are times, O Lord, we are perplexed and basically misguided on how to pray in times of suffering. In those emergency situations that come in our life, we feel like, Lord, you do not exist anymore. You are not there. We don't feel your presence anymore. Lord, where were you when all this were happening? And we begin to challenge you basically in all these situations. But you have made us to understand the truth that you are actually there in this our sufferings. You are actually doing this uh walking through the sufferings for our own good. And we recognize that, O oh Lord, that there is no suffering in this life that we will go through that doesn't have an eternal impact in the life to come. And we thank you, Lord, for that. Help us, O oh Lord, to understand your will in every situation of suffering that we find ourselves in. And help us to pray accordingly with that will. Let the Spirit of God work in our lives and impress your will to us. Thank you, Lord, for the intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the intercession of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be your holy name, our King and God. We ask God this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.